Welcome to the Indian Science Show. A podcast where we talk about Indian stuff, science, and different worldviews. I'm Turtle. And I'm Annie. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, everybody. Today, we're talking about one of my favorite subjects, I think, that I've ever learned about in my whole life. And it has so much to do with the way I was raised, I think. And partially because I live here in Montana, and we have four distinct seasons. Mm-hmm. And that's something I love about Montana is, I mean, it's definitely changing, especially this year. Um, and I mean, it has in years before, too. But uh, the seasonality thing and how they change affects the your behavior on so many levels. And this is something that I think is not just one of my favorite topics, but one of the most important topics for everybody to become acquainted with is this notion of seasonal rounds or the or just the changes in the seasons and how they affect human behavior. That's how I would say it as an anthropologist. So the well, that that would be potentially some um, biocultural anthropology how are <laughs> the biology or the ecology of our environment affects our uh, cultures and how mm-hmm. and then vice versa but also our bodies our bodies how it affects our bodies and i think mm-hmm. more specifically that's the anthropological part of it our version of biocultural is the more environmental ecological mm-hmm. Whereas anthropological biocultural is more related to human bodies and physiology and how our cultures have affected that. But they're so related. It's so related. Mm-hmm. And I think people, one of the most relatable ones is the seasonal, what do they call it? The seasonal blues? The season, is that what the term? Uh, I'm not sure the, if I'm getting that right. Yeah, like the winter blues. You know, yeah, like a little the, bit, you get a little bit more depressed in the winter. Yeah, I know that. I mean, I'll get sometimes if it's too sunny too many days in a row, I I notice that I get depressed too. I wonder if it's, I know, and and I hear all the time, vitamin D. Mm -hmm. I don't hear that much on the news or anything when people are talking about how to stay healthy, but vitamin D is so important in it. And here in Northern latitudes, that's a huge problem. We don't get much sunlight for a big part of the year. And that's the main source of vitamin D, the best source. And there's so many different varieties of vitamin D that get synthesized in our skin that we can't really get from ingesting foods or vitamins and stuff. So got to get your sunlight. So even in the winter, if you can go outside with your shirt off or like in your bathing suit, even if it's cold, you're still getting that sunlight directly on your skin. And that'll help a lot. Plus, there's a lot of cool science behind cold therapy and uh, the more more popular one that's popped up in the recent years is Wim Hof method. You ever heard of that guy, Iceman? Mm-mm. Oh, okay. Maybe no. So just where you like plunge yourself. Well, that's been cold. popular, but he has a specific method that's involved uh, breathing and ice, cold therapy, and he's been able to do some amazing feats of just kind of physiological, almost impossibilities. Or what mm. we thought was impossible. And then he's he's also allowed himself to be subjected to a lot of scientific testing while mm-hmm. he's done this stuff and proven that he could teach it to other people. And he's a fascinating dude. But he's gotten so popular that uh, 
it's just become one of those it's it's become a fad in some circles with women mm. but um he, it's legit man it's legit and it's science-backed stuff and he's broken scientific barriers he, he's helped and it could also be his physiology too but he's always claimed no it's not just me i could teach us and he did he mm. like, taught it to other people taught it mm. hmm. anyways before I, before i go too far down that rabbit hole let's get into the indige fact which is something that i've i probably i don't think i would know about this if i had never taken a college level astronomy class because that's where it got drilled in my head and what that is, is the reason for the seasons. So we have, there's all the stories about what caused the seasons where like, there's all these mythologies and stuff and all of these different oral traditions, the modern scientific understanding of it, which comes from lots of observations and over centuries is that it's the tilt of, a, of our planet. And what I've heard most, there's, there's a lot. Usually I hear people say it's the distance to the sun, which makes sense. Right. Mm -hmm. But that would, wouldn't have that much of an effect or, or actually would have a major, major effect, way more major than just having different seasons. Right. Uh, if we actually had a more of an elliptical, like a more extreme elliptical orbit where we went further out in our solar system, that'd be bad. We probably couldn't, we probably, we may not have evolved on a planet like that, but we have a, a pretty, we have, I don't remember what the terminology is behind this, but our, all orbits are elliptical, but mm -hmm. ours is not that elliptical pretty much. So we have very small variations in how far we are from the, uh, from the sun mm -hmm. on where we're at in our orbit. Mm -hmm. But what does have a huge effect is the tilt of our planet it's consistent. So it's always the same tilt as we go around, but on one side of the orbit, the tilt has the top of the planet facing the sun. And on the other side of the orbit, the tilt has the planet, the top of the planet facing away from the sun. And that's the, that's, that's what causes seasons. If we had no tilt, there would just be season bands. They would have permanent seasons depending on what latitude you're at. So in the north, there would be no seasons. It would just be cold all the time. Mm -hmm. And in the equator, there'd be no seasons. It'd just be hot. There'd be no like rainy and dry mm -hmm. season. It would probably just be potentially either just dry all the time or just rainy all the time, depending on the planet, I, I would think. Hmm. And I'm not an expert. I just took, like I said, I just took a class on this. Right. But it really got drilled into our head because it's one of the most commonly perpetuated myths out there is mm -hmm. what causes the seasons. And it's really just that simple is the tilt of our planet. And which is another thing I've heard, which gets me thinking about aliens and uh, some things I've heard on ancient alien theory, uh, what not ancient alien theory, the ancient aliens show. Mm -hmm. uh, that's ancient aliens on the history channel is uh, the the mixture of the tilt of our planet and the almost the the abnormally large size of our moon mixed with its abnormally perfect distance from our planet and there's like all these weird factors that come into play that they use to explain ancient it must be aliens right and I always, <laughs> always, you always see that dude with the crazy hair <laughs> it's aliens but that's the thing though that odds are astronomical but where do we live in the universe. Mm. 
just because I would have said Montana. Just, yeah, just <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we live in Montana universe. <laughs> <laughs> but but the universe is in the United States. Let's just yeah. get that clear right now. <laughs> but what was this? So the uh, what was I saying? I was talking about something that uh, I forgot what I was saying. You were talking about how aliens and the universe. Oh yeah, yeah, the ancient aliens show. No wonder. And how the tilt, the tilt and something else yeah, lead but, to and so that's it could very likely be it, this there's probably a here some kind of a heuristic for this where we're perceiving the complexity as meaning as equaling intelligence mm. and it may just be the complexity is observe we're observing it because we're part of it and it's there and it's all we have really mm-hmm. when the reality could be that yeah, it may be rare, but because the universe is so vast, these extremely complex environments are going to happen. Mm. And it may not be that aliens caused it here, but that it just happens because the universe is massive and it leads towards the more complex. But that also uh, simultaneously yeah. leads towards more and more entropy. So Mm. the more complex it gets, the more chances it has to fall apart, but also the more it does fall apart and the more Mm -hmm. catastrophically it falls apart. Yeah. I thought it was like when that big asteroid hit earth that created the moon, it tilted us on the axis. That's one of the theories for how the moon formed. I always thought it would lead to the tilt too. That's the most, yeah, that's, I think that's one of the most Mm. predominant widely accepted theories but right now mm. we still there's still debating. Siffy, yeah uh, and uh, that's not my field but i know there's still a debate in that field uh, like what what it actually was and there's the other one where they think it was during when the planet was in a molted state mm-hmm. because of uh, the conservation of angular momentum maybe might be the mechanism where a chunk kind of just come came off mm-hmm. kind of globbed off and became its own thing and then because of i think it might be the same mechanism mechanism that causes it to ball up too the conservation of yeah momentum. i was just like think about to like, like everything to kind of just pull in instead of um like momentum gets conserved as it changes velocity around the curve hmm. something like that probably getting that wrong but whatever i, don't know. I just always like think about it stuff yeah um all, how much of our lives boils down to something so what seems like so random, just mm-hmm. the tilt of our planet. And if, even if it was off by a few degrees and it changes too, like there's this uh, process called precession where there's a kind of a, like a wobble in our, or is that precession or parallax? Probably getting my terms mixed up, but there's a wobble. And so at the top, the North pole hasn't always been the North pole. And mm-hmm. eventually it's not going to be pointing at Polaris anymore. And hmm. um, it just, and I, it's around 23,000 years or something that that process occurs over. Mm-hmm. And so Jeez. there's a, that change that has a big effect on our long-term climate patterns. And then there's these big cycles called the Milankovitch cycles. Mm-hmm. The sun goes through, I think, it, I don't know if it's a sun or if it's bigger, maybe it's a, I think it is a sun, but it, I don't know, it might be the whole galaxy. 
but it's just a huge i'm yeah i'm almost positive it's the sun it's a just this massive cycle and it happens over a hundred thousand years or like 200 or it's these really really long periods and you know what i'm gonna google that really quick uh because i'm really curious now how long that is it's either a hundred thousand years or like a hundred million but that's a big difference so I was correct. A hundred thousand always, hundred thousand years. Yes, and it specifically relates to our, the orbit shape. So you know how I was talking about the elliptical, how much of an ellipt- ellipsis it is, mm-hmm. and ours isn't that elliptical compared to other planets. But uh, what the Mil- the Milankovitch cycles are is every one hundred thousand years over that period the earth's orbit shape varies between 0. 0.0034 to 0.058 which oh, i believe okay. the closer you are to zero the more perfect uh, uh, or the more elliptical it is i'm probably getting that wrong but anyways it just gets <laughs> it's, it's it's get it gets more elliptical over time and then goes back so okay. it's elliptical and then goes back to more closely closer to a circle and like I was saying earlier, because the, that distance, when it does change, has a huge effect on our climate, way more than mm. mo- any, most things going on on the planet's surface, including mm-hmm. climate change, anything that we can contribute to. Now, on shorter scales, we can, and this is the main thing that I'm confused about is how much exactly CO2 changes our climate and Hmm. compared to other gases like methane hydrogen what would be dihydrogen monoxide also known as water 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 vapor and clouds like there's all these moving parts and it doesn't seem like all any of the models are really accounting for all those parts number Mm -hmm. one or that they've actually been correct within a, a, an acceptable error margin of error. And the, all, a lot of the margins I've seen on these error bars that when they project out like even 50 years, they're really big. They're really big. And it makes me question how, what kind of decision-making power these models give people. Mm. So, and that's the kind of narrative you're not getting in the news from, for the most mm-hmm. part. That's why I really don't like, the news because you don't get these long conversations about stuff where you can unpack some of these really crazy ideas that most scientists don't even understand. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things, man. We live <laughs> in an age of information. They call it the, mm-hmm. but now we're probably, we probably moved out of the information age and now we're in the communication age mm-hmm. where we need to learn how to communicate our information better. And uh, maybe again, Maybe we never knew how in the first place. I'm not entirely sure, but I know that information isn't the problem. It's very easy to get information, readily available. But what information are you getting? And what information do you consider valuable information? And how? what criteria are you using to evaluate whether it's valuable? Mm-hmm. These are the kinds of things that we're, we're like drilled to think about, but a lot of folks just kind of 
I'm not sure really exactly what's going on because it's probably individual by individual. But I think for the most part, it's a failure of our institutions Hmm. on various scales and various Mm -hmm. levels, both like a lot of them, not just the media, but academia and government. Mm -hmm. And I think even more historically, even like religion, like a lot of these institutions have had big failures. And one of the results is the misunderstanding of knowledge and information. Mm. And I think a, a lot of, I don't know. I, I really don't know. This is just my, I'm just kind of thinking out loud right now. But anyways, that's the reason for the seasons, <laughs> the t- tilt of the planet. And it's amazing how many people I know that believe in the, f- uh, that the earth is flat and mm-hmm. they don't buy anything that comes from NASA and it, it amazes me because I've met so many people in NASA and they would all have to be in on this. Right. Oh, yeah. Everybody. And there's so many people I've met that would have to be in on this. I would have to be in on this. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, for so let me just get it out there. I'm, I'm not a uh, Illuminati, but I guess if I was Illuminati, I wouldn't say I would. You wouldn't say I'd that. Yeah. Say that right. Anyways. The earth is tilted, it's spherical, and the reason we have seasons is because different parts of the year, we get different um, intensities of sunlight because of that tilt. So like Mm -hmm. in the north, right in the summer, it's facing the sun, so we get direct sunlight. We still, it still gets sun in the winter, especially here in Montana, right? We get sun, but it's at an angle. So it's mm. more of the sunlight is just bouncing off our atmosphere into space. So that's uh, really interesting. And it's v- the very similar, pretty much the same mechanisms are causing beautiful sunsets. Mm. Why they are red because the longer, the longer wavelengths can travel through more of the atmosphere because mm-hmm. the high wavelengths like blue and Violet and stuff, they bound, they're more likely to hit particles and bounce off and scatter into space or somewhere else. Whereas the ones that hit your eye are the long wavelengths, like red and orange and stuff. And so that's why we, we got those beautiful red sunsets. And I don't know if it, it, they're more beautiful in the north or not, but I've wondered about that. Mm-hmm. If, if sunsets are more beautiful in the north because on average they have less direct sunlight. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think of. Because, like, sunsets in Florida are, like, pretty. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I don't know. I've never been to, like... So, if the tilt... So, would Australia kind of have the similar sunset as us? They'd have the same kind of reddish colors? Potentially, especially down in Tasmania... If, um, if this theory is actually, it's not even a theory, if this hypothesis is actually correct or not, or even close, then yeah, in Tasmania, they have a similar latitude just hmm. on the Southern Hemisphere. Interesting. That's a part of how I ended up there. Is mm-hmm. It made sense to do research there with the paleoecology stuff, mm-hmm. try and understand their fire and their paleoecological history and stuff. And also what they're going through now and compare it to here. Mm-hmm. And um, hmm. similar with New Zealand, similar latitudes. 
so the it's fascinating yeah. yeah so that's another reason what got me down there what 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 get, gets me to think okay so the earth it really does make sense that the earth is a sphere because mm-hmm. that was if it wasn't a sphere there'd kind of be no reason for us to go down there it was one of the main reasons right. similar latitude similar intensity sunlight and that's a huge factor when it comes to climate and what plants are going to grow mm-hmm. which is like how we describe pretty much all ecosystems is by the plants that are there what was another thing oh when i was down there uh i didn't know this notice this at first but i think maybe the second or third week i was there i was looking at the moon and it was waxing and i it just seemed something was off and i noticed something was off the whole time but then mm-hmm. i noticed i looked and i thought it's going the opposite direction it waxes mm. and wanes the opposite direction because it's upside mm. down. And that's when I noticed it's upside down. And then it went boom. And I had this, <laughs> I had this huge, it was just like, it was like the universe just hit me in the face. Yeah. It was crazy. And uh, I had a, it was a, it was a rush. I had a rush and I all got in my head and stuff. And uh, I wasn't even high or anything. Cause I mean, I was in Tasmania. So like I couldn't get anything anyway. So <laughs> was pretty much I might may have had a beer or two that night, but. I was, it was really awesome. One of the most amazing experiences of my life was noticing that the moon was upside down, down there, or to them, it'd be up. Yeah. They'd be, right. The right, <laughs> the right way. Yeah. It kind of makes sense why <laughs> North is up though, because um, most of the landmass is in the North mm-hmm. of the world. We've got a huge giant one down at the very South, but uh, for the, yeah, like all the main landmasses are all in the North. They didn't used to be though. Oh no, it won't be either. That's another thing that has a massive impact on seasons is geography. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. I mean, like, although they're the similar latitude, it's an island, and it's mm. one of the closest big islands to uh, Antarctica, and so they get some pretty extreme weather and a lot of rain. Mm-hmm. And they got world-renowned firefighters, those Tazzies. And it's a, it's a really cool place. And uh, there's not really any reason to go there, except unless you're going to Tasmania or Antarctica. Because right. it's like not, it's not really on the way to anywhere. So mm-hmm. you definitely meet some very interesting people there in the main city, Hobart. Hmm. And uh, that movie, there's a movie about it called The Hunter. I think it's got Willem Dafoe. And he plays this dude that's hunting, or no, I don't want to give too many spoilers. Or I guess that's not a spoiler. He's hunting the last Tasmanian tiger. Mm. And, uh, and they went extinct like, yeah, like uh, 1800s? Uh, no, I think it was in the 20s or 20s? maybe the teens or something. Mm. I could be a little off, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't that long ago. It was actually really recent. That's a part of why people are like, and there's kind of like we have sightings of things here not really extinct animals it's usually like bigfoot and cryptids mm-hmm. but they're they're one of their main things is the tasmanian tiger the tiger mm-hmm. huh that's cool yeah because like my yeah. grandpa saw one my uncle saw one another day that kind it's of like thing. the chupacabra stories yeah yeah so yeah their climate is still quite a bit different than us and their, their geology and geography but uh but because that latitude plays such a big impact mm-hmm. um it was worthwhile to go to almost to the end of the planet, man. Right. Man, I, out of all the places, if I had the option of going back to any of them, I would go back to Tasmania. 
out of all the places I've been to. And I've been to right. kind of a lot, but not that many, not as many as some people I've met for sure. Mm-hmm. Never been to Asia or anything. Um, Europe, Africa. Been mm-hmm. to Australia, North America. That's it. I've mm-hmm. been around, across the Pacific. Cause, but you kind of got to go that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've been to more places here in the U.S. than I have. Probably. Yeah, Yeah, I've pretty much been to most of the states. Maybe like 45 of them. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, I have not been to 45. That's for sure. I don't know. I've never, I don't think I've counted for a while. I think I'm in the 20s or 30s or something. I'm not really sure. Yeah, mine's like all like the weird northeast which living in new york i don't know why we didn't go visit more states because it's right there and it's so fast to do just never got out to do it so yeah pretty much the northeast i still need to go check the main one so i i did get to see a decent amount of what i wanted i just the one trip i had planned in new york i ended up messing it up and i Mm -hmm. and i had uh i missed my bus basically and then uh it wasn't looking good to try and reschedule because it was going to cost more money than I had. Right. And then also the timeline didn't work out. So it's like, oh, so I, and then I just never redid it. And that's the main one. But I also didn't get to Maine. And I really yeah, I haven't been to Maine. Oh, I got to, I got over to Vermont and that was really cool. The mountains over there are beautiful. Mm-hmm. I want to go to Vermont. Yeah. And it was right. And it was, um, it was right after the, like, kind of right towards the end of the fall, the changing of all the leaves. So mm-hmm. a, a, quite a few had dropped, but there's still big chunks where you got to see the forest and, like, it was the leaves are falling. And that was pretty awesome. We don't get that kind of thing over here. Uh, nope. But so they I liked don't about, get the yeah. larches. They don't get the mountainsides with the mm-hmm. larches and the, and the aspens. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty yeah. special looking. And we got all this yeah. green. That's something you and I didn't really notice until we came back that first year or that first time semester. Or was it like the second semester we drove back together where uh, we got back and we we're like, whoa, Montana so is green. so green. <laughs> yeah. And we just kind of, I didn't notice when I went over, but I, when we got back for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're both pretty in different yeah. aspects for sure. And that's like really one of the big points of this whole season seasonal round concept is that's what I, I call it, but I know that Neil called it something different over in Syracuse, but it's one of those things that does seem to be cross-cultural where where Mm -hmm. seasons and how human behavior changes is, I mean, you can't escape it even in the city, Mm -hmm. you got a seasonal round. And so what we wanted to talk about today is our local area, mostly, because we got stories from all the way from childhood about the seasonal round from our own families, but also there's a lot of science packed into this concept. And so there's a different various uh, scientific concepts we'll hit on things like bioindicators or biocultural indicators. We'll also maybe talk about some anthropology stuff, but mostly we're just going to talk about stories and uh, our own opinions for the most part. And then after that, we'll get into talking about other cultures Mm-hmm. Oh, we're not experts on that. We're definitely interested. So, interested for sure. I know you said that you grew up listening to stories from your uncle. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think my family all 
understood the importance of being sure you have food in the winter. And I think being in Montana, a lot of our energy is put towards how we are going to survive in the winter. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so uh, whether it was foraging for food in the spring or the summer to make sure that you had that or sometimes the fall, but mostly it was making sure spring and summer you collected as much as you could, dried as much as you could, hunted, kind of hunting can came in the fall. Um, So then you wanted to make sure that everything was done. And I think you said it the best that you can, what did you call it when you like relax in the fall? So in the relax in the fall, I'm not sure. Was I just talking about it before the show or? Yeah. Um, So you want to make sure that by spring and summer, you have enough food. So come fall and winter, you are prepared. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like from my perspective, especially here in Montana, that the other three seasons are spent in their own different ways to get ready for the winter. Mm-hmm. Because in the spring, you're cleaning up your camp or and or your house, right? There's spring cleaning. Mm-hmm. I think that's a concept that's true for anyone that's got a winter. And then the spring leads into the summer by getting the plants ready. And often the plants you collect are the ones that are coming from storage. Would it be storage organs on plants? There's a little hunting, maybe fishing, but not a lot of that happens in the spring from here in Montana. A lot of that is the summer and fall. And so in the spring, it's getting these plants that are survivors already. So relying on Mm -hmm. the survivors from winter, from last winter, but also especially traditionally going back to our caches and making sure we have enough. So by the end of the summer or the winter, I've always heard stories of the big feast. Mm-hmm. Big feast, and that's what the solstice often is. Is we're celebrating that transition to mm. where our days are going to get longer, and we can start counting on some more food coming soon, so we can relax a little bit. Mm-hmm. And but that relaxation doesn't a lot last long because summer is that's when you got to put all your work in spring, summer. So that way, but fall by the time fall time comes, and I know ranchers and farmers know this better than almost anyone else, is then if you did the work and you worked hard and there wasn't any uh, really bad luck, because sometimes it's just like bad luck, the environment or something happens. But uh, barring anything like that, come when the fall comes, then hopefully you'll have enough from the hard work you put in to be able to last through the winter because Mm -hmm. the fall harvest, that's like, depending on what you're working with, that doesn't take nearly as long to grow and maintain the crops. But I mean, it's not like it's easy work, but it's still just the amount of work over the amount of time the effort put in is not anything amount when it comes to what it takes to actually grow these plants. Or what it takes to find an animal to hunt it and then to get it back to the kitchen. To, so then you got food in your freezer. You got food in your pantry. So all that comes together in the fall. That's why traditionally harvest dinners, Thanksgiving dinners, that's why it's part of why it's in the fall. So it's really interesting. We think 
our cultures have so much power. But the way I see it, a lot of what our cultures are, are reflections of our environment, mm. of our climate, of our ecoregion, of the mm-hmm. ecology of our surroundings, both biological and metaphysical, like your thinking, like what kind of thinking environment do you have? And that involves your family and how you interact with your family. I mean, there's so many crazy levels to this concept that it's tough to boil it down into a and a podcast episode like we're trying to do right now. And uh, I'm an, I know I can rattle on for hours about this. And partially I think because I've spent a good amount of time with Tim Ryan and I know you've heard him talk about this concept quite a bit too. And is that mm-hmm. the uncle you're talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's a, he just, yeah, I think on like any kind of conversation, he'll try to bring it up. Cause that's just like what he really loves. Oh he yeah. Just really, you really ever see loves his, it. what he, his diet, his graphic he made of the season. Already? Yeah. I've used it in my research actually. Yeah, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. There's very, there's other ones out there too. Um, but I, I like his, but also I liked him. So I use his. Yeah. Well, and I like, I like it cause it's geared towards Salish. Yeah. So it's, and, uh, and yeah. they have one over uh, I think Neil showed me one too, didn't he? He mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure he has one. Oh yeah. But they all have I think the, it's... everybody's got one. Mm-hmm. And he used he related it what I really liked, I think I remember this correctly, where he was relating it to Linda Smith's diagram also. Mm. Or no, yeah. not Linda, but Burkis. Burkis diagram where uh Burkis or Burkis nested those different institutions, social institutions in the worldview thing. You remember that diagram? And we'll, we'll link that in the show notes, but what it is, is a, there's this big circle or ellipsis and there's uh, it's a worldview and nested in that, then there's social institutions. And then there's eventually it gets down to local knowledge and it's this scientist's way of explaining his theory on traditional ecological knowledge and how it gets created and stuff like that and mm-hmm. why it's different than other eco- than scientific ecological knowledge. Mm-hmm. And it's a really cool research and this I really love this dude's work and mm-hmm. uh, he's con- definitely one of the big contributors to traditional knowledge getting legs in science. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, I think seasonal rounds just being from Montana, I think we've always known that uh winter storytelling month so it's when we kind of sit around the fire talk with your family get to be with your family then the springtime it's kind of flowers bitterroot so you're going to harvest those plants then the summer um plants are kind of more dying around here kind of they're less and less kind of I always compare the summer to like celebration because, you know, you don't have school. What's my powwow is? You get the powwow trail. It's nice little fun times, little get togethers. Probably when trade was happening. So you got to go see other tribes, trade with them. Then you get the fall. The fall is hunting. Then it's like this is a circle, it just never ends. Mm-hmm. And what I liked about it was that. <coughs> It was uh, definitely, I liked it because it, it kind of combined us more as a family. Um, 
always go pick bitter together. They're always like really fun activities to be outside with your family. Cause I think now we have grocery stores, we have Amazon. You could pretty much order food from around the world and it will be at your doorstep. So it nowadays in modern times, it really does allow you to reconnect with your ancestors in a way that is healthy and connects you to earth, connects you to culture, connects you to spirituality, um, ceremonies. I think seasonal rounds incorporate a whole lot of aspects in traditional lives. It does. And like I said earlier, it, no one can really escape this concept. Even if you live in a big city, there's still an effect on your behavior and there's certain ceremonies that go with it. And maybe people, modern folks wouldn't call these them ceremonies, but traditions, mm-hmm. anything you're passing down from one thing to another that represents something that symbolizes a meaning that's not, that's not completely explicit, right? It's not something that's just naturally a part of this thing, whatever it is, but it's a shared meaning that's cultural and that's totally ceremonial, man. That's a ceremony. And I guess the, maybe what makes ceremony a little more heavy of a word is often it's associated with seriousness mm-hmm. and, uh, that, and that varies from community to community. Some people are really super serious about their ceremonies other people not so much and so that the this whole season round concept is going to be totally different depending on where you you land on the globe mm-hmm. and so the i think one of my favorite stories where i kind of first learned this was having to worry about the wood mm-hmm. having to worry about a wood stove and how much that changed when it got close to wintertime, mm-hmm. especially if that's your only source of heat. Then, uh, yeah, and I've and not so I learned pretty young that I love chopping wood, but I hate stacking it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really don't like stacking wood. <clears throat> I would probably stack the wood because I clearly remember one time I was standing by somebody when they were chopping wood. And a piece flung out of the wood and stabbed me in the leg. And I was like, I'm, I think I'm just going to stack it. I'm going to be a stacker. It's so dangerous. Um, Especially if you're not doing it right. Or like, you're not being aware. Oh yeah. We were just like messing around. I was just like talking to them while they were doing it. I was like, okay, time to dip out. I'm going to just stack it. (laughs) Yeah. Every swing, my shins are tingling. (laughs) Not so much these days because it's just kind of second nature, but Mm -hmm. the, uh, that's, I think, the most dangerous part about it, man, is you might whack your leg with the axe. Uh, or like it'll bounce uh. off and hit something. and Or, yeah, mm-hmm. like, like with you, either a piece of wood or the axe head comes flying mm. off. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so recently I've been experimenting around with different tools. And there's this one drill thing where you could just attach a drill, this big heavy-duty drill bit that's mm-hmm. like a, like a, kind of like a cone with grooves on it. And so it's supposed to like drive itself into the wood and then it'll split it because of the way. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, it just didn't work at all. I think maybe I just need a super powerful drill or something, but Mm. I bought a drill that seemed like I, or I thought it was a powerful drill. 
mm-hmm. but it hasn't worked so far on any of the logs I've tried. And so I figure, man, if I got to split it, like pre-split this, why not just chop? Might as well just yeah. chop it at that chop point. <laughs> but um, it's an, I'm also is so my kids and my mom could do it because she's the one that found it. And it, mm-hmm. that way you could do it one handed with a drill. Mm. So she can make her own kindling if she needed to. Right. She could do it or any of the kids could do it. Yeah. But we came down, I just finally showed him how to chop wood. And what what I realized showing my, I only showed one and then he's teaching the rest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I No one taught me how to chop wood. I do not remember. And maybe someone did and I forgot. But right. my, my the way I remember learning is just going out and being really frustrated and mad that I had to chop wood. Yeah. And then, and that I like, it was, I had to. And, um, and probably mostly because it was my own damn fault and I didn't ask anyone to show Mm me. That, that's always my fault. And, uh, and so I just banged my head through the brick wall for as many times and nicked my shins a few times. Luckily, never seriously. Uh, and I just, and eventually I figured out, whoa. It's all about the way you put you, where your hips are lined up. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then it, <laughs> and eventually just, yeah. Then everything else came because w- once you got your hips lined the right way, then uh, your swing's going to be lined up. You're going to be forced to swing a certain way and you just yeah. figure out what's the most comfortable for your body type and stuff. But as, if your hips are not lined up square with the logs, with what you're trying to chop, you're almost going to be trying to like do a half, like a half cartwheel. And I did. I saw my kids trying to do this, and uh, I was like, "Man, did I ever do that?" Yeah. <laughs> and that's one of those things you learn uh, that's different here than um, somewhere maybe in the tropics mm-hmm. or somewhere where they don't have much firewood, like in the Antarctic or the Arctic. Mm. Antarctic, but yeah, Antarctic, yeah, they. Yeah, and you need a lot of technology to live there, but the Arctic, like yeah. indigenous people in the Arctic, mm-hmm. them dealing with keeping warm in the winter, especially, they can't really rely on wood. They can't re- really rely on wood heat. That's where things like igloos come from. That's how they mm-hmm. invented things like that, where then you could just have a little teeny amount of fuel and still mm-hmm. stay warm, but also you all their clothing technology and mm-hmm. knowing where to camp how to build the igloos, what Mm -hmm. ice, what snow is best for igloos. Like there's so much technology wrapped up into the seasonal round because I don't, that's probably not something you can really rely on in the summer Mm -mm. is igloos because maybe they'll melt or the the snow is not right. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Maybe they do. Maybe it's it's an interesting thing. I'm always curious about that stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't know much about. Yeah, I don't know much about igloos. Yeah, I know that the snow has to be right. You can't mm-hmm. just build it out of any snow. Otherwise, you got to use extra stuff. Mm. Hmm. I've tried many times around here, and it's not as easy <laughs> as you think it is. Huh. Maybe I'll try it. Yeah, all, I always resulted to just ba- making a huge mound of snow, packing it down super tight, mm-hmm. and then digging out the inside, which is not how they make igloos. So. No. Huh. Yeah, I don't know. That'd be something interesting to look at. Mm-hmm. So that's a whole... I mean, we wanted to do this episode because it's the new year and a lot of renewal ceremonies are happening right now. And they have been happening for a a few couple weeks, few weeks, depends on 
which community where you're at and all that. And um, for Blackfeet folks, a lot of that is the summertime. That's when mm. our annual ceremony is where we go and fast and dance and sing and celebrate and all that. But a part of it is sacrifice too. That's something I've noticed as a part of almost all ceremonies is some form of a sacrifice. Mm. And that yeah. sacrifice is different depending on the culture. Mm-hmm. And fasting is one of the most common ones, I think. A lot of the people in Judeo, like Judeo-Christian traditions, they do a lot of fasting. And uh, and that's one of the things we do too. So that's also fascinating to me is just how similar we are. Mm-hmm. We're humans across the world. It's when you look at us, it's it, at first glance, it seems like, whoa, look how crazy different we all are. But when you start to take a like a, you take a step back and you kind of start to relate some of these things and these behaviors and you see they're just different expressions of the same need or the same human thing, but we express it in such a different way and we're, mm-hmm. we're, or we're interpreting it in such a different way. Yeah. Which is based on location, worldview, what's around you, your ecosystem. Yeah. So yep. I was just thinking like, uh, what would be in a bioindicator to know when it's time, when you can actually build an igloo? I wonder if there is bioindicators. Hmm. So uh, anyone listening that's not familiar with bioindicators, which I'm sure a lot of you are if you're scientists and ecologists, but bioindicators are these things in biology, usually an, an organism that when it reaches a certain stage of its life cycle or its development, it, it that signals a development or a, another life stage of a different organism somewhere else or a shift in the environment of some mm-hmm. kind. And that's really fascinating to me um, because it's like, a, it's one of the most powerful predictive tools I think humans have ever come up with. And I, and it makes me curious, have humans been the only species that have come up with bioindicators? I bet you animals of all sorts use have, that's probably one of the main, one of the main things in nature that drives animal behavior is yeah. an animal observes a change in one organism and uses that to know and shift another. But maybe the difference with humans is we're more conscious of it. I don't know, man. It, it's, a weird idea well what so if when the gray whites go to that island where all those seals are mating what indicates for them yeah why, that they're gonna know. be there yeah is it just instinct or these like yeah uh, drones going wherever their genes tell them or <laughs> right are they perceiving a shift in the temperature mm-hmm. that's what i'm thinking that's what i was thinking yeah yeah they're, yeah, they're, I think animals are a lot smarter than we give them credit for. Or maybe it's even yeah. something. Maybe it's even more deep than that, and it has to do with the magnetic field of our planet and this, or and or the sun. Maybe mm. it's a shift in the sun, because like we were talking about earlier, how we are on that shift, and if it's a seasonal shift, one of the most consistent seasonal shifts you can count on for sure is the change in the intensity of the sunlight that's hitting your region. Mm. But I know great whites have huge ranges right oh yeah like miles miles well like for their well like sensory 
Oh, I'm thinking like their their range, like their uh, their what's that? Their territory. Yeah, like yeah. they could go from like the top Don't, of North America to yeah. South America. Like one of the biggest out of all the animals yeah. in the ocean, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it's that's the, true. Yeah. They they're definitely and uh, recently I watched this documentary where this woman I think she's in Hawaii where she studies sharks. Call her the Shark Whisperer, maybe or the Shark Lady or something like that. Mm-hmm. But she was was really saying that like they are definitely not just cold-blooded mindless killers yeah they're definitely predators i mean they're one of the oh, yeah. predators at the top of the food chain but they're not mindless they're definitely think there's something going on behind those black eyes for sure mm-hmm. and that and and it really some of the videos i've seen makes me wonder and i know i've come across some research that was saying that maybe it's time to start looking for more you know how we all were always cautioned against anthropomorphizing animals, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Well, this researcher was are saying that maybe we should actually start looking for more human traits because we're finding them more consistently than we're not. Mm. These 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 characteristics that we have that we can find either corollary like uh, correlations with or mm-hmm. straight up they're doing the same thing as us. Mm-hmm. And I think one of my favorite examples is. What's it called? A zoopharmacogna, zoopharmacognosy, or something like that. It's like animals using plants for medicine, mm. and an, uh, elephants. But I mm. think we're one of the first animals they figured out doing this. But gorillas do it. Like a lot of animals do this. And for us, Bikani people, it's grizzly bears. They showed us a ton about what to eat, what's good for medicine, and because that's what they do, they use plants for medicine mm-hmm. and for food and. Um, it's pretty awesome. And all that come changes season to season. And the bears, I think that's another thing we probably learned from the bears. Mm-hmm. Big chunks of the seasonal round. Mm-hmm. I don't really know any stories of that I can think of right now that specifically would maybe explain what I'm saying there. But I think a lot of people could relate to this, even folks that would identi- not really identify as being indigenous. Mm-hmm. The notion that our cultures are so tied to the seasons and how mm-hmm. they change, whether you live in a city or in the countryside. Now in the city, you're a little more insulated, but it still has an effect. Mm-hmm. Ah, now I'm wondering about bioindicators in the city. That's something I've been getting more and more interested in is city ecology, the ecosystems that, have a, that are, exist in cities with mm-hmm. animals and stuff and the different food chains and they're unique ecosystems that don't exist anywhere else except foreign cities. And each one is slightly different, but they all have kind of similarities. But anyways, that's um, really interesting because right now it's winter and we're both in our houses, but, and there's, I always kind of, there's a part of me that resists this a little bit, but typically this is a time where you're not really not doing anything especially back in the old days when we didn't have central heating and we didn't have four wheel drive trucks. Right. It's pretty tough to get around in the winter. Mm-hmm. So you had to prepare. You had to make sure you're in the, a good place mm-hmm. in case a blizzard hits. But even till this day, we got all this technology. If you come and you try to live here in Montana and you, you're not prepared for the winters, you are going to have a rude awakening that could maybe cost you your life. It does every year almost. 
people freezing. Something happens. Often it's mechanical injuries, like in the summer that you usually hear about people falling off mountains and whatnot, or people, but I mean, it does happen. And I think Canadians probably know this really well. Uh, Cause those road, those long desolate highways up there. Mm-hmm. That's dangerous oh, yeah. in the winter, man. Highway 212. Uh-uh. I don't like it. Cause it's not plowed. So you're driving on like sheets of ice where half of <laughs> yeah. it's the road, half of it's like a big chunk of ice. No, I no. Mm-mm. And then they drive like the CP limit. I'm like, you got to drive slower, mm. drive slower in the winter. Yeah. It's uh, I, lo- I really, I've always liked winter driving, especially if there's no tracks, like you're breaking new snow. Mm-mm. especially in the mountains if you got into good four-wheel drive truck with nice tires you got your good what is it, six ply all terrain tires <laughs> and if you went all out you got some studs and you got some right chains. you got your Prepared stuff for it. on the front and the back <laughs> <laughs> no i'm not that hardcore but getting a good pair of six ply all weather or all terrain tires that has been made a huge difference to me mm-hmm. here Compared to just buying all weather tires, the the six plies, man, that makes a big difference. And it, I use them all year too. I just get two two sets and I swap them out, and they last. It's last lasts me a long time that way, and they work. Plus, I can they I can, I've driven across the country on them even, which is a little odd, like to drive all the way across the country on highways with six ply tires. <laughs> but uh, they last and. It works. It's a compromise. The gas mileage isn't the greatest, but at least right. I can go off kind of sort of off road whenever I feel like it. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to switch my tires out every winter. I just keep the same. Mm. That's good. Yeah. So one of those uh, things, yeah. modern seasonal round habits, mm-hmm. not winter yeah. tires and that kind of my stuff. dad does that. My dad is all about our winter tires. He takes our cars in, gets us our winter tires. Mm. We're good for the winter. Yeah. With that being said, talking about switching out and let's go ahead and take a quick break to talk about something that Annie and I have been interested in a long time. And we've we've wanted to talk about this woman's show for over a year now. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to take a quick break. We'll we'll be back in just a few minutes. Stay tuned. <sighs> Hey everyone, Um, so we're going to talk about one of, at least my podcast that I listen to, kind of on a regular basis, been a little crazy now, so haven't listened to the last episodes, but it was really important to me when I was kind of first listening to podcasts because it was an indigenous voice, especially indigenous woman voice that was really powerful and it made you want to connect with food in a completely different way. Um, It also made me very hungry. And so we figured it'd be a great way after we just talked for a while um, to give you a break and um, from the show and actually give you some munchies. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. I know I got the munchies when we started talking about it. (laughs) Yeah. I was drinking my bone broth and I thought, man, and then we, we ended up talking about food for like five minutes and going down a rabbit did. hole just by saying, so how are we going to talk about this show? Mm-hmm. So the show is called 
Toasted Sister. <laughs> and the host is Andy Murphy. And you can find her at ToastedSisterPodcast.com. And we went ahead and reached out to her and asked if it was cool if we give her a shout out and promote her show on our show because we we really want to promote as many native podcasts as we can. But really, we want to pr- promote good quality content to our listeners. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the coolest shows out there, I think. And for that reason, because food, man, I'm, I'm doing a lot of food sovereignty work right now. And so this is perfect timing for me and getting my love back for cooking. Mm-hmm. Just got a new, I just got a new cast iron skillet. Uh, my dad got an air fryer. And so we, I did completely different. We, we did the modernized way, but that's what I love about her because it's really talking about how traditional indigenous foodways were lost, found, redefined and modernized over the last few hundred years. Mm. Yeah. And she interviews a lot of people too. Mm-hmm. And that's something I really like about her show and something I'd like to do more on this show. And so whenever I hear people interview folks a lot, I always appreciate it. And just to hear different people's perspectives. Mm-hmm. And one of her most recent episodes was where she talked about Thanksgiving and she inter- had a talk with three Wampanoag women that are do some, so I'm not exactly sure exactly what their projects are, but they were talking about how like they're pretty much everything that they're, they're doing is to bring back indigenous foods to their communities and to their people. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just a good show to give you the munchies, but she talks a lot about sovereignty stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing I like about it. Yeah. So she's a great pod. It's a great podcast. I, I highly recommend it. And you can find the show at Tister toasted sister podcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts mm-hmm. yes so thanks again to toasted sister and before we get back to the show we wanted to give another shout out to one of our listeners for mm-hmm. dropping a comment on facebook and also to address one an issue that we didn't know existed and mm-hmm. we just figured out um, maybe a potential way to solve it so you're the one that found this comment right and it's yeah. someone i know Yep, we both know. So, and we, I don't think we need to tell, like, say his whole name, but thank you, George. Thank you, George. For leaving this comment, even though it is a public co- comment, right? But mm-hmm. um, thanks for listening. We really appreciate your feedback. And he said, I listened to the whole two hours, 17 minutes, plus played some parts over again because my mind wanders and I miss things. Mm-hmm. Very enjoyable show. I tried to leave a comment on the website, but the links kept taking me around in circles and no place to write the comment or rate the show. I had to quit that because it was making me dizzy. (laughs) Sorry, George. (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. So so we apologize for that, George. And we were talking about it and we figured, you know what? It maybe is because the link that we have on our show notes brings you to iTunes. So we always have a link to give us a review on iTunes at the end of our show notes, but uh, we the only reason for that is iTunes ratings are the ones that matter most to Google and stuff like that. But what we we're thinking is we can from now on we're gonna put that and we'll say this is the iTunes link, but we'll also put other places <laughs> where you can go and leave a review or drop a comment for us. So hopefully that'll solve that for the future for anyone else that gets brought in circles, which is really interesting because we're talking a lot about circles this mm-hmm. episode. Yeah, well, sorry about the circles. <laughs> sorry about the circles. And that's just one more, but this one we're going to try and get rid of. Mm-hmm. And there was something else that you wanted to bring up. Oh, that, well, yeah. we're going to save that for the end of the show. Yep. 
So thank you, for George, for dropping that comment. And thank you, Andy Murphy, for hosting this awesome show. Again, check her out at ToastedSisterPodcast.com or any of the places you download your podcast at. So with that, now back to your regularly scheduled episode. Yeah, to the regular scheduled programming. Welcome back. Now that you've kind of listened to our little tiny area in a very vast world, at least Earth, we'll just only focus on Earth, even though I'm sure other parts (laughs) are. (laughs) Dang. Yeah. Imagine what kind of seasonal rounds aliens got. I mean, technically, we will talk a little bit about gods, but not not, not quite the same. But we're going to just talk about Earth stuff and how seasons can be conceptualized in very different ways yeah so this is we talked a little bit about this idea that this concept exists in pretty much i mean all the cultures that i've ever looked at Mm -hmm. some form of this represented in the cultural institutions and one of the ones i like a lot i I really love greek mythology and that Mm -hmm. was one of the cultures that got me interested in history and this story you came across or that you knew yeah. about was something I'd never heard before. I'd heard of these gods before in other stories, but I'd never heard this story. So mm-hmm. why don't you go and tell that? Because you, uh, I don't know. I've never heard <laughs> I, it. I know it so well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Greek mythology. I went to Greece when I was in eighth grade and to go to Greece, I had to take a Greek class And I don't know whether it's just the fact that I love creation stories and our creation story as Salish people is so unique that I find other stories just so fascinating. And um, yeah, so Greek mythology has an idea of where their seasons came from. (laughs) And in true Greek fashion, it is extremely crazy. Uh, I know. Lots of parts to it. The family tree situation of this story. Yeah. I was like, God, <laughs> of course, it's the Greeks, right? Yeah, it's going to get a little confusing. Well, we um, should be specific. Yeah. It's the ancient Greeks, right? Ancient Greeks. Yeah. yeah. Greek gods. Yeah. Um, I'm going to try to be as basic as I can with this story. So if you want to know more, I highly suggest you look into it. It's super interesting. There's lots of moving parts to it. But pretty much um, Zeus and Demeter, who are um, gods and goddesses that were, um, whose parents were Rhea and Kronos, which were the Titans. So they had all these gods and goddesses for sons and daughters and Hades was one of them. So Demeter and Zeus had a daughter named Persephone. And Persephone is, uh, she was said to be extremely beautiful, like most goddesses were. And uh, so Hades got hanging around and, you know, god of the underworld. (laughs) So Hades started hanging around. (laughs) Uh, Started noticing how beautiful Persephone was. And him and Zeus kind of came up with this idea that, um, Hades wanted Persephone to be his wife. And so these this kind of part changes, but she was in this field. And so somehow uh, one of the stories I heard was like, it was this big flower that ended up blooming. And so she went to pick the flower. And when she went to pick it, the earth opened up and Hades came out with his gold chariot and picked her up and took her to the underworld. 
So not the greatest of starts. Um, so okay, Demeter she, he kidnapped her. He kidnapped her. Yep. I think he said like abducted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, a, yeah, almost good Greek stories start with an abduction, right? A little bit murder or abduction, something, something always fun happens. Yeah. And so Demeter, who is Persephone's mom, um, who is also the goddess of agriculture. And so she, for, I heard this day varies, but I heard nine days was wandering around. And finally her other brother Helios was like, Hey, Hades took her down to the underworld. So then she spent, she left Olympus, spent the next year roaming around. And within that year, a great famine happened because she wasn't able to produce the fruit, which is, was her goddess powers. Mm. So Zeus was like, okay, we got to figure this out. How can we make it happy so you can start producing fruit again so people aren't dying? And as Persephone was going to come back up to out of the underworld, um, Hades offered her a pomegranate. Now, the pomegranate, I heard many stories as well, whether it was a sign of marriage or fertility. Um, another one is that if you, you can't eat anything in the underworld, and so if you eat something under there, you're tied to the underworld. And hmm. so she ended up eating pomegranate seeds, six pomegranate seeds, and so she, when she went up, they came up with this conflict of like, well, if she's tied to the underworld, how can she have both? And so what ended up happening, they all agreed and she would spend six months above with her mom, Demeter. Then she would spend six months below with her husband, Zeus. So when she was up with her mom, she was kind of like the goddess of spring. And then when she was the six months below she was the goddess of the underworld so it was kind of like winter and fall and winter wore Demeter's sad months so she wasn't able to produce any fruit so it was fall and winter and then spring and summer she was happy again because Persephone was back and so they were able to have those fruits okay so it's all on the whims of some goddess uh, the yeah. emotional whims of a goddess is one. Emotional whims. Yep. And the weird kidnapping of an are, uncle. Yeah, the emotional fluctuations maybe is a better, yeah. more appropriate, <laughs> more descriptive. So let me get this right. Persephone is Demeter and Zeus's daughter. Mm -hmm. And Demeter is Zeus's wife and Zeus is her husband. Uh, what, wait, Demeter. Demeter and Zeus are married. Demeter and Zeus are brother, sister, husband, wife. So okay. Cersei, they're like the Cersei Lannister. Ah, okay. So these are the Lannisters. They're the Lannisters. The, the ancient Greek mytholo <laughs> yeah. mythological world. Okay, got it. And, <laughs> and Hades then, is Zeus's brother. I know that much. Uh, hey, yeah. Well, Zeus so, and Demeter. So that means that's his brother's niece. daughter. So that's his niece. But it's also his sister's daughter. Yeah. Because Demeter would be his sister too, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, and does is Hades married? Well, uh, Hades not, is. Don't, he's probably not married, huh? Or is, did he, he get married to Persephone? So now he's married to Persephone. Oh. And what they joked about was that um, he, uh, because uh, when Demeter was in her sorrow, a lot of her siblings were like, 
have you looked at him as a good option because he is technically in <laughs> he our is family the leader of the underworld by the way and i was just like oh my god but he's his uncle like he's our uncle i was yeah. like i just don't get it yeah like did you even consider it <laughs> come on <laughs> that's the thing though i mean we us modern humans we have all these cultural norms that we take mm-hmm. for granted and think that other people have ha- had throughout history and it's just not true for things mm-hmm. like that even but uh, even now that's not necessarily true for all cultures around the planet to think that marrying your cousin is such a horrible thing. Yeah. So, or you're like a niece. It's, it's interesting because that's in the West. I mean, we're indigenous, but even we're like, Oh, what the hell? Yeah. We're like, uh, no, you always got to check. You always got to check. You got to check who you relate to. Yeah. That's like, (laughs) it's definitely a a big joke in Indian country. (laughs) Dating your cousin. (laughs) Gotta be careful of powwows, man. (laughs) <laughs> nope greeks didn't care especially yeah. greek gods <laughs> maybe that's what the what it was is the gods had too many parties too many powwows so mm-hmm. they just stopped giving a fuck about yep. the whole th- situation they did not <laughs> or maybe there was just not enough of them right they, they all started from ju- just a few titans mm-hmm. and then those and then, titans had kids had kids and then their kids had kids and then they just created humans because they're what bored <laughs> so it seems yeah. like yeah it's yeah much <laughs> well and then like zeus had like a weird thing where he had a lot of half human kids because he that's would right. trick he would trick women into sleeping with him and that's how a lot have... of the half animal mm-hmm. things got created yep. too right it was zeus having sex yep. with animals like isn't that how minotaurs got created yep yeah yep zeus is weird when you think about it yeah <laughs> and that's how the seasons that's that's, that's the reason for the seasons, seasons. yep reason the, for the seasons yeah, <laughs> but probably similar to now i bet not everyone believed in it yeah hey, folks like socrates i know he's got lots of quotes about this kind of stuff mm-hmm. and uh so it's interesting to think about that very those people are pretty much the same people they're not mm-hmm. really any different than us the main difference is cultural in nature and uh has to do with norms mostly yeah. and biologically and behaviorally we're almost exactly the same yeah and it, it was like kind of like a faith to them and you mm-hmm. know it gave them hope and they would um bring a oh god gifts to them and you know had temples and it, they really believed in these stories um and I don't know, they always seem like fun little soap opera stories to me. And I, I just am super interested. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I know that that's probably how I got into anthropology in the first place was when I first realized that everyone has different cultures and we all can learn something different. Mm-hmm. And we all do learn something different. And again, we live in different places, different ecologies, different geologies. And and I know that uh, Chinese mythology is its own thing, completely separate from Greek. Like the, the, it's one of the civilizations that rose at the same time. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then J- Japanese is really interesting too because there's variations, but they're. I, I really don't know that much about it, but it seems like they're a part of that Chinese civilization tradition, or they've at least been very, very affected by it. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense. It's an it's like the major civilization for thousands of years, right? Right, right across the sea, mm-hmm. and uh, and then that gets me thinking of the cherry blossoms and how much mm. like uh, some of my favorite quotes from samurai dudes or 
talking about cherry blossoms and the mm-hmm. transient nature of life and things like that and how they use these seasonal changes to indicate a, a big cultural concept. Mm. That's mm-hmm. cool. That's so awesome. I, I love that, that plants make their way into our lives everywhere. Mm-hmm. And warriors are oh, yeah. very aware of that kind of stuff. That, mm-hmm. The lessons you can learn from nature. I really oh, yeah. love reading. I highly recommend a book f- called The Book of Five Rings from Miyamoto Musashi. And I also recommend The Art of War from, I think it was Sun Tzu. Those are some of the most important pieces of work and art that I've ever come across. And it's, it's crazy how relevant they are to everyday life. And it says war. And it's the book of five rings was written by a samurai who, for lack of a, I mean, to by modern standards, I don't know if it'd be murder though, because it was consensual because it was duels. And mm-hmm. at one point in time, we did duels here in this country. Even it's called, it's a part of what mm-hmm. they, some people call honor culture where duels come from and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's so in Japan, mm-hmm. they had an honor culture that resulted in death. Not always, but like the duel, they're using katanas. Those aren't uh, dull instruments. Right. And so their the, mythology yeah. also is wrapped up in this, this this concept of seasonal rounds. And I wish I knew more about mm. it. I, especially, I really do wish I knew more about tro- the tropics and how indigenous mm-hmm. folks in the tropics they're what their seasonal mythologies are like and their seasonal round stories and their ceremonies and stuff, because I know like they, they have just such, such a different seasonal mm-hmm. variation than we do because it's the wet dry season variation mm-hmm. compared to the four seasons. Like we have where it's all about winter pretty much for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyone out there listening that ha- is either from the tropics, I know we do have listeners down so- down South so anyone mm-hmm. that has stories or has, has any insights or would like to share anything about your seasonal round from your part of the world, we'd love to hear it. So you can mm-hmm. leave us comments or you can send us an email at show at Gmail or uh, go on our Facebook or wherever. Leave us a message. Yep. We're trying um, to be better. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> We're it's getting really, there. We, we, we usually always eventually get to them. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Later, We're trying. But um. Yeah, we're, we're we'll get slowly there. getting better. End in time. It might take us end, 20 end years, time. but eventually we'll get, there. we'll get back to your message. <laughs> and uh, yeah, anyway, anywhere. I'm, but uh, yeah, even not, not just the tropics, but the Arctic. Even people, yeah, anywhere. anyone's in the Antarctic listening. That's mm-hmm. a crazy seasonal round, I bet. Like what, oh, yeah. what kind of uh, all the crazy habit changes you have to do, depending on the season there at McMurdo Station. I can only imagine mm-hmm. there's probably documentaries about that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I'm curious. I just, yeah. any story to share it with us. I'm super mm-hmm. interested. Yeah. This is one of my favorite topics. And, mm-hmm. and that, so before we go too long, we'll just go ahead and wrap this show up. I think that's a great place to wrap it up. But before we do get into what we're grateful about, uh, there's this thing that, I think I'm really grateful about, and it's not directly related to changing seasons, but I've always related it. And a lot of authors and philosophers that I respect a lot relate these two concepts. It's the concept of this cycle or series of cycles that people go through in life. And this is for everyone. We all go through cycles in our lives. 
And these cycles can be represented by the seasons. Like your youth is the springtime, right? And the summer is your, mm-hmm. your young adult. Fall is when you're middle-aged. Winter mm-hmm. is when you're old and re- getting ready for death. Because like there's all, and each stage involves different act, different behaviors, different levels mm-hmm. of preparation. So paying attention to those cycles is really important. And I know there's lots of cultural mechanisms built into different people's societies all over the world to account for these cycles, to help people through these cycles. And Mm -hmm. one of them, especially for springtime is these coming of age ceremonies. It's one of the most important cycles that helps you take the first steps out of spring towards summer. And that's the way I think about that anyway. Mm -hmm. But specifically, I wanted to bring up some of this work and it's not just this guy, Joseph Campbell, but, uh, and he has since been criticized quite heavily about this concept but I still love the idea and it varies from culture to culture, but the idea of a hero's journey is what he called it. And mm. it's this concept that we play out these archetypes throughout our lives and how we go, we live, we have, there's like a story arc in our own lives and we play out archetypes like the warrior or the lover or the magician and mm. the king or a queen. I mean, there's, there's, those are just words they they can be represented with different symbols but that's just like maybe a that'd be like a arthurian england kind of representation of it mm-hmm. warrior the magician i'm i'm thinking specifically of the tale of king arthur all of those aspects are part of king arthur's tale the warrior and the magician because at certain points he either engages with one of these archetypes or he is one of them mm. and it's not just King Arthur. There's a, there's stories in it. Uh, he wrote this crazy long book about it and called a, I believe it's called a hero with a thousand faces. And I never read the book. I listened to the audio book, but I highly recommend it. If you can get through it, it's, it's pretty long, but it's really fascinating. And it, it's so relatable. When I look at my own life, I definitely see these things play out. And I see it play out in other people's lives too, but it does seem like there's, there's always like, there's more to it. It's definitely not that simple. Mm-hmm. But what I was thinking though, is that these, these archetypes, the warrior, the magician, the king, they can be loosely associated with the seasons as well. Like the warrior, you're going out in the world, you're going hunting or you're going to do war or you're going to, you're going and doing things. And often it doesn't have anything to do with killing someone, at least from my perspective, and more to do with taking care of people, making sure that everything is okay, making sure that you're going to be ready for the next Mm -hmm. season. And so, and that is like the summertime where you just, Mm -hmm. but if you spend too much time there, you get burned. And that's Mm -hmm. the tale of Icarus Mm -hmm. going too close to the sun or of Prometheus. And man, how did he get, man, he got punished <laughs> for that one. And so did Icarus. So that's that thing is yeah. that sacrifice you got to make as a warrior. But if you do it too long, you go too hard, you do it too extreme, you're going to, you might pay dearly with everything. Mm-hmm. And same thing with the magician. Each one of these archetypes, the king, the lover, they all have their dark side to them. Like with the lover, one of the examples I can think of is like the overbearing mother. Mm-hmm. and how damaging that can be to people especially to young boys where like you just they never learn how to be 
functional people. If they're, if I mean, anyone, if you're over sheltered and that's that, 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 that dark side of the expression of love. Mm. And I guess that would be more like the king, like the queen, the dark side of being a king or a queen would be the overbearing mother. The lover mm-hmm. is different. That's more like, um, represents that the the relationship with the the like when you're going out you're young you're meeting people you and you're falling in love that'd be like the spring mm-hmm. and that like casanova characters like that represent that archetype so this concept is really fascinating to me because of how it relates to the seasons like that and nature and cycles and how the that's one of them that's I was reading this book earlier called the theory of thought. And that's, he was saying that that's the most basic unit of thinking is the circle. It's the most mm-hmm. basic. And he calls it a containment unit because we, there's either things inside or outside of the circle. Mm-hmm. It's one of the most basic units of organization of how humans think. And so this notion of cycles in our lives and paying attention to that metaphysically and spiritually, culturally, mm-hmm is something I've been interested in a long time, but I'm getting more interested in it the older I get. And I really want to, want to encourage anyone listening is just pay attention to the cycles in your life. What kind of archetypes are you playing out? And are you identifying with those archetypes? Because that's the danger with them, whether you're being a warrior or a magician. And a magician is kind of like, like knowledge, like you're gaining knowledge or creating new things, that kind of stuff, being creative. Mm-hmm. the king is more like the you're taking care of your people that kind of thing but um uh there's always the dark side and especially if you identify with them where you are like i am the warrior mm-hmm. no that's just a character you're playing man so be aware of the cycles and pay attention to the danger of identifying with them and um that's it i just wanted to bring that up before we get into talking about what we're grateful before for because that for me that's something that i can go back to that i'm definitely grateful for so actually you know what yeah that's what i'm grateful for is the cycles in my life not this dude joseph campbell and the hero's journey and stuff <laughs> but the cycles in my life and mm-hmm. and all the wisdom that i think that someday i'll have just by paying attention to them i don't mm-hmm. think i'm wise from it yet but i think someday if i keep paying attention to these cycles I will get wise, hopefully. Mm. That's what I'm grateful for. I like that. Um, I guess I'm grateful for, I had a tough week at work. And one of the comments that I heard was um, how we need to be like water. Mm. And that really like hit me. And like made me want to cry at the moment because I was just overwhelmed. But it, it made me really understand of like fluidity and like being flexible, being able to move, moving around structures and objects that are in front of you. Um, and at difficult times, and especially in the winter when we don't have the summer, we don't have that sun shining on your face, feeling warm. Um I definitely feel like more like icebergs. And so like finding those little crevices and being water and like moving past those, Hmm. like really kind of helped me get through my week. Um, So yeah, it's like, uh, that's what I'm grateful for. And um, definitely trying to be more like water in my life. Nice. 
So when you get cold, you float. I float. Yeah. <laughs> that's cool. So when you said icebergs, it made me think like all the stuff that's under the surface. Mm-hmm. Slow down and explore all of that. Yep. Because you're a lot yeah, deeper just... than what you think most of the time. Most of the time. Yeah. And I don't think we give ourselves enough credit. Um, I know that I'm qualified for many things, but even I feel underqualified and I don't give myself those chances to show people how deep I am in certain areas. So mm. definitely working on that. Yeah. That's Next. a tough one. I think it's a struggle for most people is knowing mm-hmm. value and, uh, and knowing your value accurately. Yeah. I think, uh, I, I'm pretty sure I heard of research at some point in time, maybe on a TV show somewhere where guys on average overvalue their, their skills. Like they think they're better at things than they are and women mm-hmm. undervalue where they think they're not as good as they actually are at cer- certain things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not. I'm, I feel like that's somewhere I heard that maybe it's bro science, but that sounds l- legit. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think maybe women have a little bit more insecurities or maybe more yeah, like emotional value tied to it it's just the bell curve too there's always mm-hmm. exceptions to these things and it's oh, yeah. it varies by culture age group and all this other stuff mm-hmm. but those, well, yeah. those trends are interesting the mm-hmm. some of those trends and ratios and stuff oh yeah well i think there's more like women in the field that i'm in now and so it's nice seeing other women step up and like be leaders in areas that were maybe more male dominated mm-hmm. and so having having new people step up in these roles where you're used to seeing someone in that role. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just been really great. I work with some really strong women and um, I don't know. I think that having a diverse platform is always great. Yeah. Unless it's costing like the quality of the ideas. I think mm-hmm. if um, if someone has good ideas, they got good ideas mm-hmm. that I don't, there's something that Jordan Peterson said that really struck me. He said, anyone with any sense would only want the maximum amount of potential to be in the workforce, mm-hmm. which means like, why wouldn't you want as many women as possible? Right. What is what he's talking about there is and because often he says that when he's being criticized about his views on gender and whether or not he thinks mm-hmm. women should be in the workplace. He's like, no, that's not it at all. I think that that was one of the greatest things that's ever happened to uh, humans. It's mm-hmm. led to the flourishing of technology that we've seen and all this other stuff, all these other fields and it was be- when women entered the workforce. So that is, is because, and it's because good ideas, the good mm-hmm. ideas basically doubled, right? The amount of yeah. the, uh, access to good ideas mm-hmm. and different ideas so that is i don't know if there's any way to really stress how valuable that is mm-hmm. yeah and i think everybody just brings a a different aspect to a certain situation and if you're qualified for it you should definitely have a seat at the table mm-hmm. yeah definitely and that's the hard part is finding qualified people um because sometimes the, that's a weird part too is uh qualifications on paper don't always Mm -hmm. equal actual real life results like Mm -hmm. good ones at least um with people because sometimes people don't get along sometimes this person like they look great on paper 
but then they just don't really ever show up or they don't seem like they ever care. Mm -hmm. So they don't, it doesn't seem like they're ever really trying. They're just like Mm -hmm. floating. And I've Mm -hmm. done that. I know I've done that with some things I've worked on because I didn't, I wasn't really, I felt like, especially in public school, man, that was basically Mm -hmm. my whole public school education is I was just floating the whole time. I still got A's and B's and stuff, but I mean, I felt like I was always just there. Yeah. But um, to finish the episode, um, I'm glad to hear what anyone else is grateful for. So I know a lot of my gratitude comes from the seasons. Uh, And I wanted to just remind everyone of that message that you just said a little bit ago about uh, send us your stories, any stories (laughs) you're willing to share about the seasons. That would be uh, awesome and a blessing to both. Mm -hmm. I know we both appreciate it. Yep. There've been a few people that sent me the stories and man, it's just so interesting. And it's, I just love hearing different perspectives, different worlds. I think we get so, um, eloped in our little tiny area that I always forget how big the world is and how different and unique every story is. Yeah, I know. And, uh, there's all people say that saying it's a small world, man. And I've never really bought that. I was like, oh, I don't know, man. The more I look at it, the bigger it seems to get. Oh, gosh. It's, I think maybe because I'm a scientist, too. And it's like the more you learn, the more you learn you don't know. It's, an, yeah. it's pretty cool how that works. But mm-hmm. thanks for joining us, everybody. That was, a, that was a fun one. Not too long, but a good, perfect It was a good time. one. It was a good one. Thanks for joining us, everyone. If you like the episode, make sure you go to our iTunes page and you leave us a review. Yes. Give us a like. Yes. And five stars. Five stars. Just Only because, five stars. Just because you, you want to. If you don't like iTunes, you can also follow us on our social media pages. Oh, yeah. And you can drop a comment or leave a review on there, too. Yep. Mm-hmm. And we also have a website. Yes, we do. <laughs> and it's a really cool one called IndianScienceShow.wordpress.com. But if you'd like to just access our site directly from the place that hosts it, it's the same thing, but indianscienceshow.podient.co. We would love to hear from you guys. Yeah. And Indian Science Show is spelled N-D-N-S-C-I-E-N-C-E-S-H-O-W dot wordpress dot com. Thank you for lending us your ears. And now you should go use your fingers and your eyes to go leave us a review. Yes. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.